0: So those who were sent away and found it, just as he had told them, and as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered it, I tell you, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. Trusting him, truly trusting God. It was hard for the disciples. I mean, why grab a donkey, right? Why does he have to die? Why doesn't he just take out the opposition? What will happen to us, the disciples are thinking, once he's gone? Legitimate questions I'm sure they were asking themselves. And trusting him today is just as challenging. We don't always understand. We don't always have the whole story. And we certainly don't have control. Trust in these times are tough. Many people view trust as just an abstract concept. But I want to submit to you this morning that it's something that is deeply personal. In other words, the more we know the person, the more it influences our ability to trust. Who will be able to trust God more? The person who knows the character of God as they've read the Scripture, or the person who does not involve themselves in the Word at all and is not growing in their knowledge of Him? The psalmist said, And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Those who know your name, who know your character, who know who you really are, who don't have some wrong-headed idea about you, those are the ones who trust you. The psalmist also said, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. That deserves an amen. Trusting in God is not an abstract idea. It's based on our knowledge of who God is as he has revealed himself through the Scripture and through his son, Jesus Christ, and from our personal experience with him. It's why when you take your car To a mechanic, you have a regular mechanic, you trust that he's going to do what he said he's going to do, and he's going to charge you a fair price. And the more he does that, the more you trust him, even if he gives you bad news. Even when he says, well, this thing that's wrong is not actually what you think it is, it's this, and it's going to cost you twice as much. But you trust him because he's earned that through each experience that you've brought your car in, you trust him. You trust the character of the mechanic. And so you've learned to value his opinion. Trusting God is the same, it's deeply personal. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. When you seek his presence, you are seeking a person. The more you seek, or know the person, the face, the character of God, the more you trust him. You say, yeah, theoretically, that's right. But in this life, it's filled with trials and hardships. We're tested constantly, daily, with trusting God in our lives, and it's just not that easy. I mean, let's face it. Things have not turned out the way we wanted, but we're still called to trust him. We put our future in his hands because we know that he's worthy of our trust. And I want to submit to you that trust is not hoping that all things will change in our favor. I want to say that again. Trust is not hoping that all things will change in our favor. Who has had all of life go in their favor? Exactly. This is where the tension is. Because we want situations to, and I'm not condemning us, I want it, everybody wants situations to work out for them, right? That's being human. You want to, have the money in hand. You want to get the job. You want to be healed. And God wants us to ask him for these things. Nothing wrong with asking God for those things, but in the asking, we have to realize that's the vehicle that God uses so that we can trust him better, so we can see his face to learn his character. We think the end result is getting the thing but for God the end result is that we're seeking him the relationship deepens god uses faith and prayers as a vehicle to see him to know him to seek his face to enjoy his presence and that that tension of hardships of not getting the things that we ask it can cause confusion and we say to ourselves, now, wait a minute, I, I thought he was a God I could trust. I thought he was always there. I thought he loved me. It's then that we're reminded that trusting God is about trusting who he really is as an omniscient, sovereign, all-powerful, holy God who is executing his plan. Even Jesus felt the tension. Remember when he was in the garden? Father, I know that your plan for me is that I go to the cross. But if there's any way that this cup could pass from me, I'll be okay with that. But I also want your will to be done. And it's your will that supersedes any desire that I may have. I want your plan to be executed through me. I'm all right with that. But if... (laughs) Jesus is just drawing close to the Father. We we see that, that humanity its like us. There was tension. But he always, every time, opted to trust God. It's like what is called a palimpsest. It's P-A-L-I-M-P-S-E-S-T. It's a manuscript or writing material that you want to, it's from a long time ago, you want to scrape what was written on it because they didn't have an eraser, they didn't have whiteout, so you tried to scrape what had been written on the manuscript to reuse it because... Manuscripts were in short supply, people didn't have everything that they needed, so they would have to reuse whatever they wrote on. And then they would turn it 45 degrees and write whatever else they wanted to write on that manuscript. And so one had to, you know, very intensely look at it to understand it and read it because the previous writing would come through and it looks all, you know, just mixed up and jumbled. And it would take great concentration to understand the message that was written. That's a lot like trying to understand God's plan for us. We don't have everything written out clearly for us. And so what we have to learn is to trust the author. Trust the one who's writing that plan. Even though we don't understand all the details, does not God deserve our trust? Here's a passage you're familiar with. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make straight your paths. So on what is known as Palm Sunday, or some even refer to it as the triumphal entry, we see these various responses to Jesus on that day. The more that people knew the Father, the more that they could trust him. They understood what was going on. The more that people were mistaken about who the Father was, who Jesus really was, the more jaded they were the more off they were in their relationship with God. And as a result, they didn't trust God. We see this in the multitudes. The multitudes trusted expedience, you know, getting their circumstances to work out the way they wanted according to their desires. The multitude were responding to Jesus based on their own nationalistic expectations, Aren't you glad that doesn't affect any Christians today? John 12, 12 through 13 says this. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. These were Jews that had traveled afar to attend the Passover. There was an estimated two million people in or around Jerusalem during the Passover season. They said that a quarter of a million lambs were slaughtered each year during this time. Passover was a centuries-old tradition that, that marked freedom from Egypt, and it was the perfect setting for Jesus to ride in on this donkey and offer himself as the perfect lamb. But that's not what was on the minds of the multitude. You see, this Jewish nation is at a a fever pitch. Political freedom is in the air, or so they think. Their expectations are very high for this king. They want a king with clout. They didn't want a foot-washing, peace-loving Messiah. I mean Jesus comes along doing this and they're doing this. Right? Hosanna to the King of Israel. As Jesus drew near Jerusalem on the way down the Mount of Olives, the people began to praise him with a loud voice. The coming of a king. Luke 19:37 says they praised God for all the mighty works they had seen, all the miracles. Christ had wrought, especially the raising of Lazarus. And in Mark eleven nine it says that they cried out, Hosanna, which means save us now. Save us from the Romans. Save the nation. Save us and bring about this physical kingdom now so that we can rule. But this king came to die. Zechariah twelve ten said, Someday they'll look on him whom they've pierced and they'll mourn for him as an only son, and then they'll be cleansed, and then will come the kingdom. But first, he had to be pierced for their sins. So the praise the multitude offered was more about what they wished that Jesus would do for them and not for who he really was. We're all well aware that in a few days, another crowd would be chanting, And that message would be quite different. They would be chanting for a crucifixion. Now, we don't know how many of the people in that triumphal entry were there also chanting for crucifixion. It doesn't tell us it was the exact same people. We don't know. But we do know this. We can be sure that whether it was in praising him on the triumphal entry, when he was on a donkey, or screaming for him to die, both groups had it wrong. Both groups misunderstood who Jesus really was and what he was there to do. The Palm Sunday crowd did not understand the kind of Messiah that he was. The crowd at the trial did not understand his deity. Both were mistaken. The first group looked at it from a a nationalistic perspective. The second group allowed false charges and lies get in the way. When our view of God is mistaken, the tension that we feel during hardship often turns to a feeling of betrayal by God. You didn't answer my prayers. You didn't give me what I want. What's the use to pray? We're using prayer like a genie in a bottle. Instead of understanding it's a vehicle for us to draw near to God, to trust him, just like a a son or daughter trusts a parent. They don't get everything they want, but they know that that parent loves them. They know that that parent is there to protect them. They trust the parent. My brothers and sisters, we have to seek his face, his presence. That's what we learned from the multitude when they didn't do that seek His face, seek His presence. The Pharisees in the story, well, they're a lot easier to figure out. The Pharisees trusted power. Uh, They see all of this adoration that Jesus is being given. Thousands of people screaming, Hosanna, honoring Jesus with acts of submission. And they're livid. It's the record of eyewitnesses that the Pharisees said, look, The world has gone after him. And I'm sure they did that sneeringly. The Pharisees did not for a minute believe Jesus was their Messiah. They did not get caught up in this euphoria. They are the religious leaders of the day. They hated him, and they despised the actions of the crowd. And what really made them furious is that Jesus accepted the adoration. He didn't say, you know, like like Paul did in Acts, hey, wait, 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 stop, I don't deserve this. No, he was letting it happen because he really was God. When our view of God is fashioned so we can be in control, we don't create tension, we build a wall between us and God. Trust in God cannot grow in a heart that demands control. And at that point, what is needed is repentance. You have to recognize, he's God, I'm not. Contrast having control with the trust that Jesus had in his father. We have the benefit of a perspective from one who spent time with Jesus. Peter would later write, after all this had taken place, Jesus ascended to heaven, Peter writes these words, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Entrusting himself. He knew what was ahead. You look through the, the gospel of Luke, And it makes plain that he was looking ahead to Jerusalem, knowing that it meant his crucifixion. Luke 19.28 tells us that he was intent on going to Jerusalem. Uh, In chapter 18, verse 31, Jesus told his disciples, we are going up to Jerusalem. Chapter 17, verse 11 says he was on his way to Jerusalem. Chapter 13, verse 32, it says he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Why? Because Jesus had purposed in his heart, to fulfill the plan of God, to be a part of this redemptive plan, to die on a cross, to be crucified. He knew what was up ahead. Jerusalem was a place of death, crucifixion. It meant a beating. And yet, he willingly journeyed to Jerusalem. That was the plan all along. He trusted his father for that plan. It was clear what Jesus had to do. The Old Testament prophesied about the death of Jesus. Jesus trusted God with this redemptive plan. He did not resort to naked power to get out of it, although he could have. When the crowd came to arrest him, you know what he said in Matthew 26, 53? Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? I could wipe you guys out right now. That wasn't the way. That wasn't the plan. What is so cool about all of this taking place, what the disciples even didn't understand, all of this was prophesied centuries before to the very day of Palm Sunday. The exact event and date was uh, predicted in Daniel as a part of the 70-week prophecy in Daniel 9, given over 400 years before Jesus' arrival. The start of that prophecy clock was when King Artaxerxes made a promise to build the walls of Jerusalem on March 14th, 445 B.C., and counting the exact Number of days in the prophecy, 173,880 days from that date in March of 445 B.C., guess what day that is? It's on the day of the triumphal entry. That's when Daniel prophesied that Jesus would be proclaimed as Messiah and Prince. Now, you tell me who's in control. You tell me who's got a plan. You tell me who knows what's going on. There was another prophecy given 500 years before in Zechariah 9, nine, where it says, "Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem; behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation to see, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a donkey, on a colt, the foil of a donkey." With amazing detail through Zechariah, the Prophecy of the exuberance of the crowd and the exact animal that Christ would ride into Jerusalem on. Every step carefully planned. And so Jesus entrusted himself to the Heavenly Father. Instead of bringing holy tear, he brought a lowly donkey. You know, I mean, we think of a donkey as a, as a lowly animal, but actually it was a peaceful gesture. Kings, you know, riding in victory would, would often ride on a horse, but in this case, Jesus rode on a donkey. And when a king did that, that meant that he came in peace. The fact that this colt had never been ridden before was a sign of this perfect, spotless Lamb of God as Jesus Jesus used a symbol that spoke not of might and majesty but of humility and meekness. A spindly, skittish little creature Jesus uses to ride amidst the crowd that would hardly inspire all in fear. The second time though, that'll be a little different. He's going to come on a white horse and then he'll reign in power that will truly be a triumphal entry. But in Jerusalem on this day, it was not so much about the grandeur. He came in meekness. For the Son of Man came to give himself as a ransom for many, right? For the forgiveness of our sins. Well, a group that maybe we can hopefully more appreciate and relate to, are the disciples. What I want us to know about this is that disciples were a work in progress, and so are we. Amen? Amen. Any of you have arrived in your faith? Any of you got this thing down pat? Mark 11.1 says that he drew near Bethphage and Bethany. Bethany, a little village about two miles uh, east of Jerusalem. Bethphage was an even smaller village. It was known as the, the House of Figs. And as Jesus passed through these two villages, he gave his disciples instructions about fetching a donkey. We saw it on our film clip. Whoever the owner was, all he needed to hear was, the Lord has need of it. Now, I'm sure there's some backstory to this, but that's all that owner needed. The Lord has need of it. And the donkey was released. I love the simplicity of that statement, don't you? I, I hope it's that way for any of us. How about your house? The Lord has need of it. I want to use it for my kingdom. How about your car? The Lord has need of it. I'll let somebody borrow it. How about your children? The Lord has need of them. I've talked to many parents whose children go off to a foreign country as a missionary. No, 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 don't do that. You don't want to do that. I remember my parents when I told them I was quitting the business world and going to be a pastor. Don't do that. You won't make any money. (laughs) Why would you do that? The Lord has need of it. It's not ours. It's his. Perhaps if the disciples could trust God about a donkey, They could learn to trust him a little more with bigger things later. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. It wasn't until Jesus resurrected and ascended that this suffering made sense to them. This is what I want us to grab onto. They learned to trust God, even when they didn't understand. That would come later. We know they failed. We know Peter denied Christ three times. We know Thomas had to see it. He couldn't take God's word for it. Got to see those scars. Then I'll believe it, even though it had been prophesied. But something happened. Their faith grew. Their trust grew. That Peter, who denied Christ, three times, would later die for him because his faith grew. His trust was in the person of God, not that everything would work out his way, that all the Jews would get exactly what they had hoped for. In fact, he was crucified. Tradition tells us he didn't think he was even deserving to be crucified right side up, so he asked to be crucified upside down. the same disciples who scattered during the crucifixion because they didn't want to be seen with Jesus and marked for the same fate that Jesus had. They would later willingly give up their lives, walk into danger because their faith grew from that point to then. We see in the record the disciples' faith failing, but from that failing Growing. They learned to trust more in the sovereign God as time went on. Aren't you glad to know that? I sure am. Anybody have faith fail? They have their trust fail? I do. I'm glad to know that we can grow. You know, I think many of us suffer from a Christian perfectionism. And trust me, it's not good. Leading researchers studied. young people in our culture of the consequences of perfectionism this is what one researcher said today's young people are competing with each other in order to meet societal pressures to succeed and they feel that perfectionism is necessary in order to feel safe socially socially connected and worthy in order to feel worthy i gotta be perfect and i think many of us have grown up in christian cultures Even though those exact words weren't spoken, it's that idea that was given. If your performance meets up, then you're worthy. And so as a result, we grow up with this idea that God is displeased with me. It's like a a cloud over us. There's maybe a glint of pleasure we get at sometimes, but most of the times, it's like the cloud I just can never do enough. My friends, that's not from God. That's not from God. I love that even though Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus came back to him and gave him opportunity to minister again, communicated to him that he had a job to do and was a great leader in the early church from denying Christ three times to being given a position of high authority in the church. How many of you feel like you've been put on the shelf? How many of you feel like you've failed so much there's nothing that you can do to get back on track? That's not true, that's a lie. God is in the restoration business. He forgives us. It's not to make light of the sin. There are consequences. But I like what Paul wrote when he said, And we all, with unveiled faith, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same Im- image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. In other words, we grow. There's a learning process, step by step, faith by faith, trust by trust. We're learning. We're growing, we're maturing, we're being transformed. Hopefully we're expressing more faith today than we were yesterday, trusting more today. God does not desire perfection. The picture of the Christian life is not a hamster on a wheel running as fast as he can to reach some, you know, goal out there. God already loves you. God already values you. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are already in the kingdom of God, never to have that taken from you. So you are rock solid. So now what you have to do is live in light of that, not to gain God's affection, but to enjoy his affection, because that's what a good son and daughter does. They please the parent. They please the father. They, they submit, and that's what we're to do with our heavenly father. he wants us to trust him with whatever is presented to us today okay don't worry about the future we can trust god with the future because he's an all-powerful god right don't worry about the past he's a grace-filled god who's taken care of the past just trust him today and seek his face. That's all he asks us to do. Trust him today and seek his face. Can you say that after me? Trust him today and seek his face. That's it. Let's pray.